0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, so at this time we're going to open up the Word of God, and we are going to turn to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 32. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And we're going to go to verse 45. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for each and every day that you give to us. And each and every day you give us. Lord, we just want to glorify you. We want to have a heart of gratitude because not everybody made it. And because you give us the breath of life, you bless us with so much things that we don't even think about every day. Things that could have happened to us, but they didn't happen to us because you protected us. And many of us won't know what those things are until eternity lord but we thank you for even those things and father we thank you that that lord you just answered so many prayers and there's so many more prayers that you will answer according to your precious will and so tonight lord we pray to have open and receptive hearts to your word and to the work you desire to do in us and through us i pray for the gift of teaching a fresh filling of your spirit, and that I would decrease and you increase. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So, again, Mark 10, verses 32 through 45, and the title of tonight's lesson is The Key to Greatness. The Key to Greatness. Now, this thing called greatness. It's what many people in this world strive for. Some people strive to be the greatest dancer. Some people try to be a a better singer or the greatest singer or maybe the greatest athlete. There's always these debates. Who's the greatest basketball player or track and field athlete or football player? And so people are striving for greatness in various areas. Who's the greatest entertainer? These are things that, again, people strive for when it comes to greatness. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with trying to be the best you can at something. But the question is, what is the attitude behind those goals? At striving for that greatness. So in this study that we're doing in Mark 10. We're going to talk about the greatness of the kingdom of God. A greatness that. Is more relevant than those topics I just shared with you because it has to do with spiritual things. But how do we define greatness? What is the key to being considered great? And what attitude or mindset should we have as believers? And so all of these questions and more are going to be answered in the word of God. As we look at verses 32 through 45. And so beginning at. The 32nd verse, it says, now they were on the road. They were going up to Jerusalem. And any time you go to Jerusalem, you go up, no matter which direction you're traveling from. And so that's where they're going. And and Jesus was in the lead. It says he was going before them. And they were amazed. and, And as they followed, it says they were afraid. Now, some translations, depending on which translation you read, they try to clarify the word they. Because in in those last two sentences, it says they were amazed and as they followed, they were afraid. And so in some translations, it, it says that it's referring to the disciples who were astonished. So the disciples would be the first, they, if you will. And then, of course, the other they would be the other people who followed after. And it says that those people, those other people were afraid. And so other translations try to clarify they in that manner. But then he took the 12 aside, the 12 disciples aside again, and it says he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. And he says, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And this is where I like to interject Luke 1831, if you want to write that down. Because there, as it tells the same story, it says, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man will be accomplished and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes the scribes of course are the teachers of the law the law of moses and those religious leaders will condemn him to death and deliver him to the gentiles and the gentiles in this case will be the romans they're non-jews and so the Romans were ruling over the Jews at this point of history. And then Mark ten thirty four says, and they will mock him. And again, this is Jesus still talking to those 12 disciples he pulled aside. He said they will scourge him. They'll whoop him. Flog him. They'll spit on him. And of course, it says kill him. Matthew twenty nineteen uses the word crucify. But then he says, In the third day he will rise again. In the third day he will rise again. But Luke eighteen thirty four adds to this story and it shares something interesting about the disciples because it says in Luke eighteen thirty four, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. They didn't quite understand what Jesus was talking about. And that's pretty sad because this is actually the third time in Mark that Jesus talked about his upcoming death and resurrection. You know, sometimes we hear about these tough times we hear about these so-called floggings or scourgings in our lives personally and we see the tough times and many times we experience those tough times or those tough situations but we don't always see the resurrection In other words, we don't always see the blessings on the other side of our scourgings. We don't always see the the blessings or the quote-unquote resurrection in our life when it comes to those problems in our lives. But when it came to Jesus, he was fully aware of the resurrection on the third day. He understood that, yes, I'm going to be spit on, I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to be betrayed, oh, I'm going to be whipped. But you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. And although the disciples didn't understand it, what mattered at that point is that Jesus understood it. And it's the same way for us, people in the world, our family and friends or coworkers or classmates. They may not understand why we still have joy and filled with hope when we're going through those scourgings in life. When we're being mistreated in life, they may not understand it just like the disciples didn't understand Jesus. But many of us know what lies on the other side for us. And so we can still have joy. And we still are filled with that hope. Now I just want to give you some insight into why. Why Jesus could, could still have joy. Even though he knew he would suffer and die. And that makes us want to turn to. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2, because it says, therefore, we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And you can read Hebrews 11 if you want to see those witnesses. But since we're surrounded by them, let us lay aside every weight, lay aside every sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. So the whole time we're running our Christian race, we're to be looking unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. And look at this. It says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising Or thinking nothing of the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The throne of God the Father. And so for the joy that was before him, he understood that, yes, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. The very people that I created, the very people that I came to save, they're going to mistreat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to blaspheme me. They're going to mock me. But you know what? I'm going to think little or nothing of that shame. Because of the joy that lies uh, ahead, because he understood that what he was going to go through would turn out for life, for eternal life, for many who put their faith in him. And many of us tonight could be on the brink of God bringing something good out of a garbage situation. Our situation right now might be garbage. You may be in the valley and you can't see past that hill or that mountain in front of you. But I would say keep on pressing because just like that resurrection was coming on the third day for Jesus. Or maybe our resurrection, maybe our blessing is is right on the other side of whatever that hill or that mountain is. Although we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And the blessing of walking through this valley is that the Lord is with us. The Lord, of course, who is our shepherd, he's with us in that valley. So I would say don't give up. Because some people give up too soon and there's a blessing on the other side. There's that resurrection, so to speak, on that third day in our lives. But not only in this life, but of course, we know that God has an awesome, a great future for those of us who put our faith in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Are we going to be in glory with Christ? We're going to have glorified bodies, no more weakness, no more pain, no more sin nature. Are we going to have what you call spiritual bodies? In other words, these bodies are going to be dominated by the spirit and not by the flesh. And so we have something to look forward to, not just in this life, in our trials, but, but in the future, in in glory mark 10 verse 35 says then james and john the sons of zebedee they came to him saying teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask matthew 2020 tells us this it says then the mother Of Zebedee's sons came to him with their sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to them back in Mark 10, 36, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, James and John brothers said to Jesus, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. In other words, in your messianic kingdom. Matthew twenty twenty one. just going back to that, it says, and he said to her, now this is James and John's mother. So remember, mom was involved too. That's why you want to look at the synoptic gospels because, you know, together when you're reading these stories, they have a common view, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, those are the synoptic gospels. And so in Matthew 2021, 20, he said to her, he said to their mom, "What do you wish?" She said to Jesus, "Grant these, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom." And so James and John's mother, what she was doing is asking for positions of honor on behalf of her boys. The left hand, right hand. Of course, the, the right hand would be the highest honor, and the left hand would be second place honor. But they were positions of honor that she was asking for, and, and it's so obvious that these, these young men wanted this for themselves too. They wanted For themselves those positions of honor. And mom just happened to step in. And request it on her boy's behalf. And based on their requests. What we see is that. They actually thought that Jesus. Was going to set up his kingdom on earth. During that time. That maybe he was going to defeat the Romans. And right now rule and reign on the earth. And maybe they were thinking of. Matthew 19:28 because in Matthew 1928 it says, "So Jesus said to them, he's speaking to all the disciples, He said, assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, in other words, in the renewal or the millennial kingdom, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory." He says, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so maybe James and John and, and, and their mom was thinking about only the last part of Matthew 19, 28. But they missed out on the first part where it says in the regeneration, in the renewal, which, which, which is a time when uh, Jesus is going to come back after the tribulation period. He's going to come back with the saints and, and reign for a thousand years on this earth. Says he'll rule with a rod of iron and that will rule and reign with him. And during that time, Satan will be locked up for a thousand years. So during that time. That's when you're going to have animals who used to go against animals. They won't be fighting anymore. You'll have have babies playing with animals they would normally have no business playing with. And so there's going to be peace between animal and animal and peace between man and beast. And so we'll see that renewal during that time for a thousand years. And then after that, of course... You have Revelation 21, 22, what we will call the eternal order or the eternal state. Well, you have a new heavens, new earth. New earth. You have the, the, the new Jerusalem coming down from, from heaven. Now, that's the eternal order. But you first have to go through the millennial kingdom. And they weren't even here yet, but yet and still they were asking for positions of honor with Jesus. And so one thing that's good here that we see in their requests is that they are going to the Lord with their requests. They're not going to man with their requests. And the Lord would, of course, want us to go to him in prayer. But the problem is that sometimes our requests are selfish. Because think about this. They had just heard Jesus say that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be spit on and mistreated, that he was going to be whipped and killed. And so they just heard all that. But they just blew right past it and they requested positions of honor for themselves. Okay, Jesus, that's nice, but what about me? I want some honor. And sometimes we ask for things not considering others because they weren't considering Jesus at this time. They weren't being considerate of him, but I wonder if we've lately been selfish in our prayers. I wonder if in our prayers we haven't been praying for others, but... I wonder if it's, if it's been all about me lately. So I wonder if that selfishness is there in us, in our prayers. Are we praying for our nation? Are we praying for the entire body of Christ? Are we just praying for us that we get a new car, that we get a, a higher position at work, or that we'll get to work at home longer or permanently permanently? Because we like it so much. Are we praying for other people who are actually hurting, maybe financially or or with their health? Are we praying for people in this nation who are sick in sin and, and they're so deceived by the enemy and they have people from the world patting them on the back, telling them that it's okay, your lifestyle is okay. But they're just cheering them on to hell. Are we praying for those people or are we praying selfish prayers just thinking about ourselves? And sometimes our prayers are not successful due to this selfishness. And James chapter 4 touches on this in verses 2 and 3. It says you lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain, you fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. So some people's problem is that they do all these things, but they never go to the Lord with their requests. But then some other people's problem is this in verse 3 is that, hey, you do ask, but you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss, which means that they're asking selfishly. They're asking with the wrong motives because they want to spend it on their pleasures. I wonder if many of us have those unanswered prayers because of that. We're asking amiss. We're asking in a selfish manner. But the following verse will actually help us in our prayer life. If you want to jot this down in John 15, verse 7, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, our Lord speaking. He says that if you abide in me, if you remain in me, remain connected to me, and if my words abide in you, then guess what? You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. How is that so? Because if you're connected to Jesus, the true vine, and if his words abide in us, remain in us, then we're not going to ask anything that is outside of the will of God because we are in touch. We are in tune with his heart. We are in tune with his mind. And so we're not going to ask for anything that wouldn't please him. And so that's why we need to remain, abide in the, vine, in the vine and allow his words to abide in us. Mark 10, 38 says, but Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So Jesus here points out how naive James and John are in their requests. You know, he wanted to make sure that they knew about the suffering and the death. That they knew about the cup and the baptism, so to speak. Again, that's speaking of suffering and death. Those things are going to happen on his way to glory. So Jesus is. Saying, hey, are you able to drink that cup of suffering that I drink? Are you able to die that death? I'm going to die. Are you able to experience that? Have you thought about that? You're asking for glory, but have you thought about what you would need to go through? You know, sometimes we ask for things not realizing everything that goes along with what we're asking for. We do the same thing. And so let's not turn our noses up at James and John here. We do the same thing. Some people, if you ask for fame or have asked for fame, but they weren't ready for that lack of privacy. Now, remember when I was younger, I was a teenager in high school and, you know, going off to college. My friends and I had a, had a rap group. And so rap, yeah, R-A-P. You, yes, you. Yes, me. <laughs> so we had a rap group. And we, and we would go on talent shows. We would do all this stuff. And we got a picture printed and everything, trying to be professional and all that. And, and, and I did think one time, I was like, wow. And I just thought this in my mind one time when I was younger. I was like, wow, what... What if we do become famous? And this, me again, thinking to myself, I was like, man, I probably won't be able to go to the mall again and you know, have all these, you know, be able to do stuff in peace. But for people who ask for that, are they ready for less privacy? Do people really know what comes along with what they're asking for, for people who ask for riches, for example, are they ready for? the request. Are they ready for the new family members that they never met? But all of a sudden they know you have money now and they, now you have this, you know, the cousin Nene and cousin John and everybody's just coming from everywhere. Everybody knows you now. Are you ready for that? If you're asking for riches, are you, are you ready for the temptation that may come to depend on that money? Are you going to be ready to fight off that temptation to, to make that money your God? You cannot serve God and mammon, Jesus said himself. For people who ask to be parents, they're, they're praying fervently to be parents, but I wonder if you know what all comes with that. Are you ready for some of those sleepless nights? Are you ready for those times when the kids get sick and you have to take them to the hospital at all hours of the night? Are you ready for those meetings with the teachers when you think your child is perfect? They say, no, little Darrell is not perfect. This is what he did. Are you ready for those meetings of disappointment when you find out that your child is not perfect at school? And so those things that we pray about, are we we ready for everything that goes along with that? If we ask for a leadership position, are we ready for the responsibilities that go along with that? If you ask for that leadership position, are you ready to become a target? Are you ready for that bullseye? Are, are, Are you ready for people to not like you? Not everybody's going to like you, but are you ready for that? Not everybody like Jesus. Oh, when you step up to that leadership position, are you ready for the spiritual warfare? So you, we pray for things, but, but I wonder if we know everything that comes along with that. About people who are maybe right now are, not believers, but are on the fence right now. Of course, we would encourage you to repent and put your faith in Christ, but have you counted the cost? Do, do you understand that that, yeah, there's going to be rift in your family, family members who are not believers, and you when you become a believer? Are you ready that? For the time that you become a believer, you're going to be enlisted in warfare. Not something you sign up for, but you are automatically become an enemy of the devil. When you put your faith in Christ, are you ready for that? And so Jesus says, you do not know what you ask. You're asking for all the glory. You're asking for these high positions, but are you ready for the suffering and the death? So when we pray for stuff, we we need to be ready for the byproducts. We need to consider that as well. Mark 10, 39 says, then they said to him, or they said to him, we are able. And so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. You will suffer. You will die. You, You will, you know, suffer that baptism that I am baptized with. You know, and guess what? In Acts 12 of verse 2, James would go on to be killed with the sword. He would go on to be martyred, but his brother John, of course, would be exiled to an island called Patmos. So, yes, they would suffer. Mark ten forty 40 says, but to sit on my right hand and on my left, that's, my, that's not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared By who? By God, the Father. And so the scriptures, they do talk about uh, responsibilities. They do talk about reigning with Jesus. And they do talk about rewards for believers in eternity. They do talk about that in the scriptures. But those responsibilities, those positions, those blessings and rewards... They are all up to God to give as he pleases now and in eternity. And those rewards, by the way, based on your faithfulness. Are you faithful to what God has called you to do? But ultimately, anything we get from the Lord is because of his grace and and he can do whatever he pleases. And so just like these positions on, on his right hand and on his right hand and left hand, it is for those for whom it is prepared by his Father. And, and guess what? We need to be satisfied with whatever God gives to us. We, we can't complain. That'll be like beggars want to be picky. Spiritually speaking, we're broke. We're spiritually poor. Then God allows us to do something or blesses us with something. We want to complain that God is not enough or I didn't want this position. But in reality, we don't deserve any of it. So we should be grateful for anything that we get. So God could give whatever positions to whomever He pleases. He's a sovereign God. And verse 41, it says, and when the 10 heard it, those other 10 disciples heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. They were upset with them. And and I would submit that they were upset with James and John because they probably had that same request. That was probably in their hearts. And, And those brothers, they beat us to it. Their mom beat us to it. And we know that these are things that they were thinking about. About who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Because in Mark 9 verses 33 through 36, Jesus had already talked to them about that. But apparently, as we see here, the issue was not settled. That issue was was not settled, even though Jesus talked to them about it, about greatness in his kingdom. And I wonder if there's an issue in our life that God has already addressed, that we prayed about, or maybe we found it in the word already. And so God has already addressed our question, our prayer requests, but within us, I wondered if that issue is still not settled. Because maybe we read it. Maybe we heard it audibly, but, but it, it really didn't sink in because we really weren't listening. And so just like these disciples, many of us need reminders from God about what he has already spoken to us. And so likewise, Jesus is about to repeat a lesson that he had given to them in Mark 9, verses 33 through 36. And so picking up at verse 42, it says, Jesus called them to himself and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them. They, in other words, they exercise lordship over them. And they're great ones. They're, they're people with high positions. They exercise authority over them. In other words, they act as tyrants over them. That's how it is in the world. But he, he tells his disciples in verse 43, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great, Whoever desires to become a leader among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And even now, In this world. Even now, in this world system, rulers are considered the great ones. In fact, throughout history and maybe even today, some have and are serving or ruling as dictators. Rich people in this world system, in our society, and entertainers are considered. They're great ones. And some of them think they can do whatever they want to do. They can get away with whatever they want to get away with. And people cater to them. People may even be oppressed by them. Oh, they are the great ones in society's eyes. But in God's eyes, it's different. In God's eyes, some would say it's upside down. But I like to say in God's eyes, it's right side up. Because in God's eye, it's the one who serves who is great. And this verse is very special to me. Because at a time I think I was maybe 22 years old, I, w- I was praying to God asking for a confirmation if, if He wanted me to be a minister of the gospel. And I was 22 at the time, and I think maybe at 21, my, my church had appointed me as a deacon, and I think I still had a ponytail. Look at my wife winking at me right now. No, she's not. <laughs> but I remember being appointed as a deacon, and then next thing I know, they 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 wanted me to be the youth pastor. And so I'm like, okay, time out. So I'm thinking, okay, I gotta, I gotta pray, I, I gotta see if God wants me to be a minister of the gospel, and I and I never done that until I was talking to a a fellow teacher, you know, at the school I was working at who who was a pastor, and I didn't ask him a question, but he was just giving this testimony, and he talked about how he prayed to the Lord for to to find out God's will and so forth, and I just picked up on that and ran with it. Now, I remember asking God, God, if you want me to be a minister of the gospel, I want you to show me by next weekend. I, I gave God a timetable. It's not it's not wise. It's a little naive at the at that time. But but I remember. Yeah, I, I think I prayed that prayer maybe on a Sunday and I asked him to show me by next Sunday and it ended up being Saturday night. I was asleep. You know, it's going into the next Sunday. Now I was sleeping on the couch and normally what I like to do is read the word before I go to bed. Even at that time. Now I remember I just woke up out of my sleep and, I, you know, didn't really know why I wasn't sleepy, And I just tried to force myself to go back to sleep, use the restroom, tried to lay back down. And I just felt an impression on my heart, read. And I tried to ignore it and I just felt it, read. So I said, okay. So I opened up the Bible and I started reading Matthew chapter 20 to, in this very same story. And so the verse that I came across where God, where I knew that God had called me to the ministry was Matthew 20, 26, and, and it says the same thing as Mark ten forty three, except I was reading the King James Version. So God is so specific because I asked him if he wanted me to be a minister of the gospel. And so when I read this in the King James Version, it says, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your minister. That's what it says in the King James. And so I read a verse after that and then something clicked. And I remember running upstairs to my wife, woke my wife up. Hey, God called me, waking her up out of her sleep. Then of course I was asking for confirmation and confirmation, but the point is, this is a very special verse to me. What I see in Mark ten forty three, except again, I read it in Matthew twenty twenty six. What it reveals is that this is the kingdom perspective. Yes, we are in this world, but we are not of it. We belong to a different kingdom, a better kingdom. And so this is the perspective of people in the kingdom of God. This is the perspective of God, the king of this kingdom that we belong to, that it's the one who serves, who is great in his eyes. And that perspective doesn't follow the ways of this current world system. It doesn't follow that, it doesn't follow the way the world does it as far as who they consider great. And that's why you read things like Romans 12, 2, where it tells us to be not conformed to this world. And that means don't be similar in form or type. Don't be like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may test discern or recognize what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so don't be like the world if you are kingdom people. If you put your faith in Christ, if you repent it, you turn from sin, turn to God. Don't be molded into the ways of this world, but be transformed, become more like Christ. How? By the renewing of our mind, because as your mind goes, that's how your lifestyle is going to go. As your mind goes, that's how your speech is going to go. So if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind and it's more like Christ, then your speech is going to be more Christ-like. Your walk, your lifestyle is going to be more Christ-like. And so we are not to be conformed to this world. We we are kingdom people. And so our viewpoint, our vantage point, should be from the vantage point of the kingdom and in his kingdom. It is the one who serves who is great. And Jesus, of course, is the ultimate servant. And what's awesome about that is because in the gospel of Mark, That is the emphasis about Jesus. It points to Jesus, the servant. The gospel of John points to Jesus as God. Luke points to Jesus as perfect human. Matthew emphasizes Jesus as the king. But here in Mark, and it's awesome that we're in Mark, he is presented as servant. And so things move so quickly in Mark. It is an action book. Everything moves quickly because he is a servant. He's the ultimate servant living a life of service. And so from Jesus, we're going to look at the qualities of a godly servant. So first of all, a godly servant is humble. A godly servant is humble. The second thing about a godly servant is that the godly servant takes the initiative, takes the initiative. It's not asked to do it and doesn't wait on other people to do it either. They take the initiative and that's what God did. That's what Jesus did. He took the initiative. You know, I like a story in 2 Chronicles 16. Because in speaking of God taking the initiative, there's a a story about this king of Judah. His name is Asa. That time the kingdom was split. Northern kingdom is Israel. Southern kingdom, Judah. Asa, the king of Judah. And then you had Baasha, who was the king of Israel at that time. The northern kingdom. And and he came against Judah. And and he started fortifying this place called Ramah. And it prevented people from going in and out of uh, of Judah. And so what asa did the king of judah did is he called on help from the king of syria and he paid him to help him and so the king of syria said okay i agree to it and so he came against the king of israel and he fought against israel on king asa's behalf and so that king of israel baasha he he left And so it looked like it was a success until Hanani, a seer or a prophet, came to King Asa, the king of Judah, and he pronounced judgment against him. And he pronounced judgment against him because he said, you depended on the king of Syria instead of depending on God. And in the midst of that judgment statement that he was given, you see this scripture here in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this, the prophet said to Asa, you've done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. But I want to emphasize that first part, how the eyes of the Lord runs throughout the whole earth and God is taking the initiative. It's what I want to emphasize here because he wants to show himself strong on behalf of his people. And so when we as servants are taking the initiative like God, the father does like Jesus did, then then we are being Christ like we are being godly. Because God is looking for opportunities. So guess what? We need to look for opportunities to serve. And the question tonight is, how are we doing with taking the initiative? How are we doing with that? Then, of course, a godly servant is unselfish. He's unselfish. Romans fifteen three tells us that Christ did not live to please himself. The ultimate servant, we can learn from that. But then, of course, the godly servant is available. And Jesus made himself available. He just got through telling them, look, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be beat up, spit on and all this. I'm going to be killed, resurrected. But then they came to him. Hey, we, we... We need you to do something for us. He didn't say, go away. I'm in agony. No, what did he say in verse 36? What do you want me to do for you? In the midst of thinking about what he's going to go through. And so the godly servant, the Christ-like servant is available. And that lets us know that there are times that we're going to be called on to serve others in the name of Jesus. Even though things are not all that pretty in our lives, even though it may not be an ideal situation in our lives. But here's the thing. Are we available? Are we available? But then the godly servant also serves sacrificially. In other words, we, we, we serve giving up something of value as the worship team comes to the stage, serve sacrificially. See, in our example here in verse 45, how did Jesus serve? How did he show himself as the ultimate servant? Says that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, he came to buy or purchase the freedom of people who could not purchase their own freedom. Again, we're spiritually broke. We could not purchase our own freedom from sin and the penalty of sin. But it took the, the perfect man. It took the God man, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ to do the job, to, to pay the ransom. And he paid a price that is so valuable. He didn't pay with gold or silver or diamonds. He paid the price with his precious blood, the sinless blood of the Lamb of God. He, he served sacrificially. And we too can serve sacrificially. Sacrificially. That's why it's so important to do what it says in Romans 12:1, where it says, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. If you read the earlier chapter in Romans, you can see how merciful God is. So because of God's mercy, because he's been so good to us, so merciful to us, I urge you. I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. In other words, you're giving up something valuable. And guess what? He paid for you. So in other words, is is God getting what he paid for? As one teacher put it. Is he getting what he paid for? He paid the price for us. We were bought at a price. So are we presenting ourselves, our bodies, a living sacrifice to God, holy, acceptable to God? And guess what? It's our reasonable service. Or in other words, it's our spiritual worship or true worship when we present our bodies to him for his use, for his glory. God, I want to be just like Jesus. I want to serve like the ultimate servant. So I present my body to you. So, Lord, when I get up in the morning, I pray, who do you want me to minister to? Who do you want me to witness to? I pray, Lord, that you would set up those appointments. I I pray that you give me the words to say. I pray, God, that you would equip me for what you have me to do because, my God, I am your servant. And I want to serve others in the name of Jesus. And so I leave you with this final thought. And here's the final thought in God's kingdom. That the question shouldn't be. How can I be great? The, the question should be. How can I be of service? Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the ultimate servant, Jesus Christ. Set a great example for us. And Lord, you don't leave us to ourselves. To do what we're commanded to do in your word. But as believers, Lord, you. You indwell us via your Holy Spirit. So I pray for those of us who are your children and are watching maybe online or in the building right now, Father, or I even pray for those who are going to watch later or listen to the audio later that That, Lord, if we've been on the shelf, help us, Lord, to get off the shelf, to to get back in the game, Lord, and to serve the way you'll have us to serve, to do it faithfully, do it with the pure motive and Lord we don't have to worry about who we're greater than and positions just help us to have the heart of a servant the servant Jesus Christ and you'll take care of the rest Because your word says that, that those who exalt themselves will be brought down. And those who humble or abase themselves will be exalted. So we'll let you take care of that, Lord. But help us, Lord, especially in these last days to be faithful in our service to you. And if there's anyone, Lord, who's on the fence, who's not a believer, I pray that you'll convict them of sin and remind them of that ransom that was paid by Jesus, that holy lamb. We love you, Lord. Lord, May you bless my brothers and sister with a safe trip on their way back home. Bless the remainder of their week and use them in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just want to thank you all for coming out. If you need prayer, we'll be here willing, ready to pray with you. And feel free, too, to... Not just come to the elders for prayer, but pray for one another. We're a body. That that same Holy Spirit that's in Pastor Tony, Pastor Jim, Pastor Al, myself, the Apostle Paul, Matt, Shirley, that same Holy Spirit is in you as a believer. So you can pray for each other if the Holy Spirit moves you. Amen. Amen. Thanks again. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.